0: Thank you for tuning in to the New Birth Podcast. There's a word of hope for you today, and we are excited for what God is doing here at New Birth. For more information, visit our website, nvplaceofhope.com. Now for the message by our senior pastor, Gabby Mejia. And and, and I have the amazing challenge, I have the amazing opportunity um, to jump into week four of our Book of Revelation series. Can you, by a show of hands, who's been blessed by this series? Who's been blessed? Come on, who's been blessed? That's good, that's good. Amen. So what I'm going to try to do is, uh, for the the first four minutes, I'm going to try to recap uh, the entire four weeks, all right? So if it's your first time in church, uh, you came on the right week, if you've been here every single week. Um, I'm really going to try to stay by that four-minute clock. I'm actually going to make it three-minute clock. Uh, I'm going to try to recap where we've been at. Um, so while I'm recapping, if you've been coming every week, what we're going to do, we're going to jump to the pillars, what they mean and, and kind of what's going on. If you know, If you know them, just go ahead and shout them out with me. Um, what's kind of going on. You guys ready for this recap? All right, so you have three pillars. These three pillars uh, resemble three major happenings in the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation, obviously written by John, right? We said that he was in the island of Patmos and he was sent to exile in that moment. God's picked up John, not his soul, not his uh, physical man, but his his spirit man was raised and he he was given the privilege of being told by God, write what you see, write what you see. Uh, Four ways of interpreting uh, the book of John. Different ways of interpreting it. We're taking two approaches of how to interpret what's going on. In the book of Revelation, while he's writing, there's three big major happenings. The first one is the rapture. Can I say, can you say rapture? Rapture of the church, right? So right now in the timeline, we're right here. You glue my mic a little bit. It's really loud. Right now in the in timeline, we're right here, right? So all of the Bible and everything happened over here. We are literally right at the edge, right, right right before, Jesus is about to come, can I get an amen, he's about to come, we're right here, right before this major event, once this major event happens, then it's leading up in the book of Revelation to this big second moment, which is called the second coming of Christ, so Jesus takes his church in the air, right, and then in between these two pillars, you have three and a half years of war, and three and a half years of peace, and within these three Seven years, you, you, you have these things coming out of the earth. You have a bunch of stuff happening to the earth. The Antichrist, the beast, the false prophet are rising up, right? And, and, and God begins to, 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 to do things to the world to get it ready for, for when his son comes back right here at the second coming of Jesus. Jesus came once before. And what happened when he came? He split our history books in half. He raised up 12 disciples to then lead the church. You guys know about Jesus, right? He came and he died and rose again on the third day. He is not coming back in the rapture. He's coming back with an army of, of Christians and believers to once and for all drop, kick, kung fu, pal the devil in the chin. Y'all here tonight? Come on. I'm a youth pastor. I'm a youth pastor. I'm a youth pastor. Drop, kick, you know what I'm saying? Touch cha. That's, that's this pillar. Yeah, the last pillar was the, the, the great uh, white judgment throne. It's just three amazing happenings, all right? Now, what I'm going to talk about is in the Bible, all the times leading up, and times in the Bible is kind of wrapped up in the word dispensation. So there's different dispensations, right? So the first dispensation is the dispensation of innocence. That's Genesis chapter 1. Verses 28 all the way lasting to Genesis chapter 2. This is the dispensation covered by the period of Adam and Eve in the garden. It's the dispensation of innocence, right? So this is before the fall of man, before Adam and Eve uh, went to the wrong tree at the wrong place at the wrong time. Right before that, that period of creation to that very moment is the dispensation or time of innocence. Then we jump into the second dispensation, which is the dispensation of conscience, right? Do not eat of this tree, they ate of the tree, and now they're seeing things in a different light. They notice they're naked, they're, they notice so many things. That's called the dispensation, and that begins the dispensation, or times, if you will, the times of, of conscience. This lasts from Genesis 3 to Genesis 8. Then you have the dispensation of human government, which rises up in Genesis 8. And that's when God had destroyed life on earth with the flood, but come on, he didn't wipe us away. He actually chose one family to raise up a new generation, a new new body of believers, right? So that's that's what happens in the flood with Noah and his family. Then you have the dispensation of promise, which started with the call of Abraham, which we're going to get to in a little bit. After that, you have the dispensation of law. That's the Ten Commandments. You guys ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Uh, we're going by the times of the Bible up until now, the dispensation of law lasted almost fifteen hundred years from Exodus until it was suspended, right? So this dispensation of law ended at Jesus Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. Amen. So, so now after the dispensation of law, we have the dispensation of grace. To to be righteous in the sight of God, you gotta keep up with the law. You had to kill animals, it had to be bloodshed, and there had to be a sacrifice a pure, innocent, and beautiful animal it had to be sacrificed for to, to to cover your sins, the Bible says. But but God looks at this way of doing it. this dispensation of law he says I'm gonna balance out the equation I'm gonna send my perfect son the lion and the lamb one final sacrifice for all mankind so that if they would just believe in him if they would look at him and recognize him as my son and look at him and recognize him as the savior they would not fall under the wrath of God but they would actually live in the grace of God so here we are today in the dispensation of grace grace Grace, Come on, Christians today, we, 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 we lose the definition of grace. Grace is a way out. Grace has a name, and his name is Jesus. And grace is the plan of God for all humans. You got to understand, we're living in grace right now. And this might sound bad to you, but for if a terrible person, a really bad person, think of the worst person you know. I was watching Netflix. There's a guy, he's like doing crazy things. I'm not going to get into it because we'll be there forever. There's a guy who does some crazy things right now in the dispensation of grace. Whoever bows their knee to Jesus will be saved. No matter how much you think they deserve hell, no matter how much you think they deserve the wrath of God, come on, all humanity right now is one step away from salvation. You're one decision away. You're one prayer away from being opened up the gates of heaven. Sounds unfair to you. Think how much you've hurt God. Think how much you walked out on God. Think how much you did bad stuff to him and his son, and he still loves you, and he still has grace for you, and he forgives your sins yesterday, today, and tomorrow. How dare we look at people and say they don't deserve the grace of God. You don't know who sent you. Jesus said for all the world to know that I am the one living king. You You can give a better amen to God right there. Come on. This message comes against all those churches that hate people. And I pray that may never be us. Instead of being a church that's known for what we're against, I'd rather be a church that's known for what we're for. We're for people. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So we're in this dispensation of grace. And, and, and all this junk, I want to call it junk because it's not for the church. The tribulation, the, 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 the trumpets, today we're talking about the bowls. And the pastor does it every week. He says we get raptured and we skip this process, right? I'm doing what he's doing. Come on, good son, just like his daddy. And we come down with Jesus and we crush the devil on his head. But, man, you got to be aware that some people you know, if Jesus would to come back, I'm one of those Christians that I live on edge because I see what's happening in the world. And I'm like, Jesus is coming soon. I was just watching Captain Marvel, and and it was a, it was, okay, so I just ruined the movie for you. There's a moment at the end, like, don't do it, don't do it, (laughs) la, 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 la. (laughs) No, it's a cool moment, it's a cool moment. They're looking at all the people that went missing after Thanos did the snap, and and you see the number just going up and up and up, people missing, people missing, people missing, and all of a sudden, the, the Pentecostal got into me, and I was like, that's exactly how it's going to be when, when God raptures this church. People missing, people, and, and I don't know about you. Hollywood knows what's coming. And they've been, they've been making fun of what's coming. They've been mocking what's coming. And, and that's actually a prophecy being fulfilled. And I'm living with this ultimate Pentecostal mentality like, yo, Jesus can come any moment. I mean, we looked at last week. How is it possible that in the Bible it says two witnesses will be seen from everyone in the world? I can imagine back then people saying that can never happen. How in the world can can all eyes see these two witnesses? Listen, today in 2019, it is possible for me to put something online and the entire world tune in. It's possible. Talks about earthquakes. In the last days there will be earthquakes. Every year the number of earthquakes increases. I mean, the clock is ticking. The clock is stopped. Jesus is only waiting on you to come back. Did he know that? He's waiting on you to reach out to your coworker, to reach out to your family member, to reach out to people and to tell them, listen, I'm not trying to help you get saved because of the wrath. I want you to know that there is grace over your life, that wherever you are, no matter what you believe, Jesus is here for you. So that's the recap of what we've been doing. Tried it. Today we're going to talk about the bowls. Last week we talked about the trumpets, and if you're any, anywhere in here and you're like me, this is week four of Book of Revelation. If it's your first time, you missed three weeks. Uh, jump into our podcast at the Place of Hope. Search up New Birth, a place of hope, and you could we actually have all the messages there. But this is week four. We're talking about the seven bowls. You guys with me? Book of Revelation, chapter sixteen, verse two. This is the first bowl of judgment. It says this, the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land. An ugly, festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Last week we talked about the mark of the beast. We didn't say those people in the video have the beast. We say that is a, a, a way, it's some type of kind of. A system. It'll be something like that. We don't know exactly how it's going to be, but 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 if there's a way that one world government can come into into place, it have to be something with the the ability to, to to make purchases, right? The Bible says in the Book of Revelation, they'll be able to purchase orange and apples with the mark of the beast. They'll be under this system, right? And and this is the moment where where things start to happen to these people that. Follow the Antichrist and jump into the system of the beast and, and identify themselves with the false prophet, right? There's no Holy Spirit in this time. So everyone is just in complete chaos and everyone is hating God and everyone's looking at what's going on and they're cursing God. In the middle of that, people are still saying yes to Jesus, right? We see that last week with the, with the two prophets that come and the end times. So in this, in this verse right here, it's talking about sores that will begin to break out in the flesh of those who said yes to the mark of the beast. Now, this bowl that's happening, that's pouring out these bowls, understand, this is activity coming from heaven, ending on earth. This is God's wrath. This is God's wrath. And a lot of you in here are saying, I don't know about God's wrath. I didn't know about that. Listen, God's wrath is connected to his holiness. God is so holy. So he actually has two two sides of the same coin is to withhold wrath from those that love him. But to those who don't accept Jesus, you're only welcoming a life of destruction. God's holiness is connected to the wrath. Did that make sense this morning? Second bowl. So the first bowl soars. The second bowl of judgment on the sea, it killed everything. 16 verse 3. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead person. And every living thing in the sea died. Water turning to blood. Like pastor said. A couple of weeks ago, said, oh, it don't matter if God leaves, I'll just go fishing. And you cannot go fishing if everything in this sea is literally dead. You can't. This is bad. Listen, th- this era is only set up for you to make a decision. It's either going to be these false three or the real three, the real trinity. It's either going to be the beast, the antichrist, or the false prophet, or it's going to be God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And these moments, there's a three you need to choose from. If you're left behind, can I tell you today, there's a three you need to choose from. Every day you have a decision. When you go to work, you say, am I going to bow to the kings of this world, or am I going to bow to the kings of kings and the Lord of lords? Every time it's an ability for you to give to God, you got to make a decision. Are the the kings of this world the Lord of my finances, or is the kingdom of heaven the end of my finances? Every day you have to make a decision. As my children, I'm going to raise them up in the culture and in the life and in the teachings of this world that will eventually lead them away from God. Or will I raise my child? and my children and the way of the Lord and the way of the church to understand that there is a Holy Spirit that they can have access to. There is a grace that you have access to. As much as we try to make it gray, God is so much black and white. It's me or not. Here's a fourth bowl. Revelation chapter 16, verses 8 to 9. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth bowl judgment intensifies. It says in Revelation chapter 16 verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. Repented not of their deeds. Instead, they cursed God. Revelation chapter 16 verse 12. Here's the sixth bowl. The sixth angel Poured out his bowl in the great river of Euphrates. And its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. So the king, the the kings of the east is geographically modern-day Russia, and what's happening is is God's not only kind of letting out the bowls over the earth, but He's also preparing way for this second pillar for the return of Jesus in the church. Seventh bowl. Watch this. We're coming on the end of the bowls. The seventh bowl says in chapter 17, uh, chapter 17, verse 21, verses 17 to 21, sorry, chapter 16. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it had ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. My God. So tremendous was the crate, was the quait. The, the great city split in three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of fury of his wrath. So God remembered the great city of Babylon, right? We're going to build this to, 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 it was built off of pride. It was built off of self-ambition, and, and God confused them with different tongues, right? This is a reference to that. God remembered Babylon, the great, and he gave her the cup of wine with a fury of his wrath. Verse 20, every island fled away, and the mountains cannot be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell on people, and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague, was so terrible three reasons why all this is happening all this tribulation three reasons why God is doing this and is actually revealed in scripture the three main reasons what so what's the purpose of all these judgments what's 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 the purpose If, if there was a purpose that I could connect these two here's number one the period of tribulation is to bring the earth under submission and the people under submission and so this period earth has been under satanic submission right so when Jesus leaves up until the second pillar the earth is under satanic submission During this tribulation period, Jesus and heaven are calling the shots and preparing the earth for the millennial reign of Christ in between these two pillars. The millennial reign of Christ, God is pouring things out. Jesus and and the heavenly host are are calling the shots and trumpets are being played and bowls are being poured over to get ready for what God's about to do. So so the purpose of all this is to get the world under submission, to get earth under submission, right? Right? The second purpose is that this will bring an end to the Gentile powers of the earth. So the, all those leaders on the earth, the Gentile powers and leaders, through this, through these tribulation periods, they will all lose their strength. They will, they will be weakened, right? They, they're trying to establish a kingdom because God is gone, but little do they know the wrath is coming over the earth. And, and although they'll try to raise empires and raise, uh, raise a gathering, raise a following, heaven will trample it down. And that's the second purpose of all the tribulation. The third of, uh, period of the tribulation is that God is going to bring his people to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Zechariah 12.10, He's a reference to that. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look unto me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourns only for his son. And he shall be in bitterness with him as one that is in bitterness with for his firstborn. So now the earth is ready for something that's about to happen. And this is called the battle of the Armageddon. You've probably seen it in movies. You probably have an image of what's going to happen, but this is the moment, and we're going to read the verses, this is the moment where, 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 where God literally crushes the enemy under his feet. And and God and and the heavenly hosts and the church, there's a battle that takes on, not in the air, actually here down on earth. And and what's crazy is that a lot of people who live in the Holy Land, who live in these areas, they kind of already designated the place where this battle will happen. So we're going to read Revelation to keep going with the verses. We're going to do 12 through 16. It says, the sixth angel poured out his bowl in the great river of Euphrates. And his water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Verse 14, they are demonic spirits that perform signs. Listen, church, just because you look into the world and you see signs and wonders and mysteries, that doesn't always mean that it's God. That doesn't always mean that's the power of the Holy Spirit. Do not be dismayed. Do not be confused. In the last days, a great following will be to those who are leading false ministries and false prophets. We follow the one true prophet, Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen in the church? So don't be a church driven to signs. It may be the wrong sign. Don't be a church driven to all these different things that people can elude your focus. Jesus is the focus. And out of Jesus and his spirit comes fruit of the spirit. And then comes the gifts of the spirit. Can I get an amen? I've known a lot of young adults that love signs and wonders and they end up in different religions and, and, and let down a downward spiral of, of, of just confusion all because they're seeking after signs. I'd rather seek after the giver of the signs and the giver of the spirit. They are demonic spirits that perform signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for battle. So their proof to fight is their signs and wonders that have no power, that have, that have nothing. You can bring the piano back up, it makes me me feel better. You guys here today? And this is great, verse 15. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed, so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So Satan persuades the kings of the earth to gather to, to, to gather, right, for this battle. He's persuading them. The backdrop for the battle of Armageddon is the city of Babylon, which is kind of in the area today of modern-day Iraq. The Antichrist will establish the one world political and economic system headquarters there. And, but when the Antichrist saw how God on the seventh bowl of judgment destroyed Babylon, he began to panic. He gathered all the nations of the earth and decides to attack Jerusalem. So, so the seventh bowl, the, 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 the Antichrist took a personal. Said, you came against my, 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 my actual temple. What I'm going to do is I'm going to gather these kings, and we're going to come back against you. And we, see, we read that he did that through the signs and wonders. He convinced them to follow, convinced them to submit to his plan through showing them signs and wonders. Revelation chapter 19, verse 20. But the beast was captured. Can I get an amen right there? The beast, the great beast, was captured. And with it, the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Antichrist and false prophets are cast into the lake of fire in a bottomless pit. That's what's happening. Revelation chapter 20, it says, and, and I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss. You know who has the key to the abyss, y'all. And holding it in his hand, a great chain, he sees the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. He threw them into the abyss. He locked it and he sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. We're going to get to the millennial reign of Christ. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Verse more, I saw thrones on which... Were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or its image, and they had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands, and they came to life and raised with Christ for a thousand years. Can I get a good amen in church on a Sunday morning? So that concludes these two pillars. And what starts here to there is the millennial reign of Christ. And this is the part of the Bible where preachers get the church to go crazy. And they say, Church, we won. Right? I've heard preachers, I read the back of the book. I've read it. We won. And that is true. But like one of my favorite worship songs say, While I'm waiting, I'm not waiting. While I'm waiting for Jesus to come back, I am not waiting for Jesus to come back. Because Jesus lives inside of me right here, right now through his spirit. Church, do not get complacent. Do not set up shop. Do not be passive about this truth. You know what's the dangerous part of this sermon series? is now you know what will you do with what you know will you sit and wait or will you get up and move paul says the harvest is plentiful the harvest oh there's a lot of harvest the laborers are few notice they didn't say believers are few laborers are few there's a difference between believing and laboring there's a difference between having faith and having work. And we're 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 in dangerous place because the North American church is all about believing and not about surrendering. They're all about I'm a Christian on Sunday, but I'm a fornicator on Monday. I'm a Christian on Sunday, but I I I don't give my finances to God. No, I I I'm the I'm the manager of that part. And if we're if we're not if we're not if we're not sure about it too much, we, we, can, we can fall into the ways of the world and begin to live a life that leads to a different kingdom. If it's not God's kingdom, am I really moving anywhere? We preach this to you. That if your moving isn't to God and his kingdom, are you even moving? And if we're honest, if we're honest in this room, no church games, we need to be willing to say, God, while I'm waiting, I'm not waiting. While I'm making my a name for myself amongst my coworkers, I, I'd rather make my name uh, of something in the heavens. I'd rather angels push each other. You see that that guy that guy is saving so many people. That guy is talking to everybody like Jesus is coming. If they only knew Jesus is actually about to come. I think they'd walk differently. I think they'd talk differently. I think they'd tweet differently. I think their their bank statements would go to different places if they knew that Jesus is coming back. I think their vacation would be a little adjusted if they knew that Jesus is coming back. I think their retirement funds would be a little bit less uh, about themselves. I think they're planning for themselves. I think their schedules would change if they really knew that Jesus Jesus is any second away from coming. We used to do this in my old church. Ready? Imagine Jesus came right now. One, two, three. Boom. And then right there, I'd look up immediately. Like, is my dad still here? (laughs) Because he's a holy man. If he's here, we're good. You know what I'm saying? If you've been in church long enough, you know what I'm talking about. It's always a game, right? No, it's not a game. It can happen right there. Like right now, it could just happen like three, two, one, boom. And you're here with like two or three people. Looking around saying all we did was believe. We didn't do anything with what we believed. If I I was in a relationship and the girl told me, all you do is talk about loving me, but you never show it. She has grounds to say that I never loved her. She has grounds to say that I never, ever loved her for real because I did nothing with that feeling. Church is not enough to believe got to surrender, we got to do something with our belief, we got to preach the name of Jesus like it actually breaks chains, we need to reevaluate, I hope this message, we go home and we reevaluate, is my family being led to the king of kings, is our lives aligned with this one truth, this verse jacks me up, if you're new in the faith, I'm going to encourage you to start reading the book of James. The message version, if you want a lighter version, you know what I'm saying? Go to the message version. Eugene Peterson, the way he describes the Bible is amazing. In the book of James, chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, let's talk a little bit about faith and works here. What does a prophet, my brethren, if someone says they have faith but have no works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food. And one of you says to them, oh, go in peace, be warmed and filled. But you don't actually do anything. You don't give them the things which are needed for the body. What does that profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it is dead. A lot of Christians have faith and think they're working out, but they're not working anything out. Faith without works is dead. You, wonder, you know what's going to take your relationship with God to the next level? You're getting into some work. You know if gonna? If you feel like you've hit your spiritual lid, oh, I hate that term—a spiritual lid. God, I, 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 I want to grow a bit more, God. If you could just, I want to do more. I want to learn so much that I could do so much. But in the North American church, we've separated believing and doing. We, we've divorced them, and so one can exist without the other. Works without faith. Works, 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 works. That's called religion. I serve to receive love from God. I do so that God could love me. I speak in tongues so that God can see me. I do these things so that God can love me. That's religion. That's not relationship. On this side, you got people that love God, that really love him, right? They understand him, but they do nothing. We got to meet in the middle. My faith needs works, and my works need some faith. It's together. It's together. Verse 18, some, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith. Without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe in God. But pastor, I believe in God, though. So does the, de- so do the devil and his demons. And they tremble. I believe in him. Everyone believes in him. Verse 20. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father? justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect and the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed in God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. What are they saying right here? What is James trying to say? Stop trying to separate the two. Our father Abraham, father Abraham, had many, you know what I'm saying? Abraham, who had many sons. Hold up, let's rewind. Let's rewind the story. And I love how James, out of all these examples, he brings up Father Abraham. Right, verse twenty-one. Put it up. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Was he not justified by his works? Yes, he had belief, but wasn't his story all around this one idea that he offered his son Isaac? What's the story? Abraham's getting really old. His wife Rebecca's getting really old. And they're like, we're trying to have some babies, man. And he's looking at his wife and she's looking at him like, we can't. You're about to be 100 and whatever, and I'm about to be, you know, 99, and we're both, this can't happen. But God had a promise over their life. God, God had a promise. I'm going to give you a son. It, no matter how old you are, no matter what, what you think, it, it, it won't work. It won't happen. It's not, it's not even in your will to happen. No, 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 no. I'm God, and there's no limitations for me. I brought my son to a virgin. I can do anything. So he looks at them, and he gives them their son. Oh, Isaac. Oh! They've been praying for Isaac, y'all. Isaac is the blessing. Old Rebecca and old Abraham gave birth to Isaac. He is the promised one. He's literally the blessing alive for them. He's the thing he's been praying for every week. He's the thing that he probably gave up on but kept the faith about. And God brings him Isaac. And then one day, while Abraham's out looking at his blessing, God tells, God tells Abraham, I want you to put your faith into work. And James says this is how he's defined his works. I I want you to do something with that blessing I gave you. That son, if you love me, I want you to take him up on a hill and kill him for my name. Take your one and only son. Sounds like someone we know, right? Take your one and only son, bring him up to the altar, and sacrifice the blessing that I've given you. You know what Abraham does? He curses God and runs out. No, no, no. He says, Isaac, as much as I love you, I just want to let you know we're going to go for a walk today. In his mind, knowing this is probably the last walk he's going to have with his son. Walks him up the mountain, tears probably, walking his blessing to execution, walking his promise to execution. See, most of you guys say you can't do stuff for God because you've been promised something. Your promise becomes your excuse. But if God gave this to me, why why would he? No, no. God gave me this money. God gave me this job. God gave me my life. And I will do what I want with it. You just became your own God. Don't use God's blessings to curse him. He grabs his promise, his son, that he's been praying for, and he walks him up. I love you, Isaac. I love you, Isaac. If you I had you, I'm going to let you know I love you. But I got a love for the father that goes deeper than this one. I- I'd rather see my father in heaven than to stand away from him with you. Well, he, This message... This message of, of him being obedient to God, it speaks so much about his character. It speaks so much about his faith being put into works. And he walks him up and lays him out. I can imagine Isaac already got the hint. Dad, what are you doing? Lay there. He grabs a knife. And, and, and right, right when, when Abraham is about to sacrifice the thing that God gave him, God didn't have to look at the deed. God looked at his heart, and in his heart, he already obeyed God. So right before Abraham's about, a voice from heaven calls out saying, do not lay a hand on that boy. I see your heart. You've been faithful. Not because of what you believed, but because of what you did. And I will spare your son. Isaac lives. That's why we say the God of Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here's my question today. I want to land the plane. What is God leading you to do? Better question. What is your Isaac that God is saying? I want your heart back. I want your life. Yes, you believe, but it's time to do something. Worship to come up. Make me me feel way more better. What what, what, what what is that thing? What is it? What is it? What is it? Because you got to find it and I'm asking you to give it back to me. What is it that you're holding away from me? Because I'm not to curse you. I'm not here to curse you. I'm not here to make you just just broken and, and empty. No, I'm here to fill you up. I'm here to take you to another level. But your disobedience is disqualifying my action. What is God leading you to give? Man, I hate talking about money. As a church kid, I hate talking about money because I've been hearing offerings getting collected for 23 years, y'all. And I know the real meaning of giving, but I know there are people that they receive it really, really bad and in the wrong way. So my prayer every Sunday is, God, in this moment, may the Holy Spirit show people what giving is a privilege, giving is an opportunity. It's not a mandate, it's not a bill. This is an opportunity for us to be obedient and say, God, I got all this faith, but let me put my faith into works. Man, your bank statement shows who you're worshiping. Maybe you're worshiping something. Maybe you're worshiping your stomach. Maybe you're worshiping all these things. May God say, you got that faith? Now put it to works. Now do something with what you believe. Where, 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 where are you at right now in your job? How's it going? How's it going? You feel like you're satisfied? You feel like you're good? You feel like you're okay? Like God's blessing you. Listen, God's calling you to be a missionary right where you're at. You're not just a part of this world. You are an alien. You are not supposed to be here. Stop getting comfortable with the world. There's a heaven God is calling us to. He's calling you somewhere. We got to walk with this desperation like, God, you want to love and seek and save the lost. And if we're honest, God's purpose does not come into fruition if we, the church, always tell God no. There are promises over this house. There are promises over this pastor. Let's get a step deeper. There are promises over your life. That are waiting to be unlocked through you being obedient. Different levels of God's love wants to show you. Different levels of faith God wants to build up within you. when you faced with this question? God, what am I going to do with all this faith? Amen. Can I get a better amen? message has inspired you as a place of hope our church is committed to reach our community if you'd like more information about new birth visit our website at nbplaceofhope.com